You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off this week. A major spike in respiratory illnesses is putting increased pressure on the health care system, and many are calling for a return to a mask mandate. Health officials won't go that far yet, but they are encouraging us to mask up indoors. Richard Zussman has more. <laughs> the triple whammy is here. A combination of respiratory illnesses, COVID-19, the flu, RSV, all hitting at the same time. Visits to healthcare providers with respiratory symptoms on the rise. A significant jump since September, and this is just the beginning. We knew that this was coming, and we've been preparing for this as best we can. And the things that we all do together collectively now will make a difference. The first Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix briefing in over a month. The surge in respiratory illness medical visits mainly driven by young people in all four age demographics from 0 to 19, seeing the highest levels in more than a year. Emergency department visits going up and down, but the daily average among all ages is higher now than it was a month ago. And we have specific measures we'll, um, um, that we put in place, including the opening of, uh, of uh, beds to ensure that we're ready as we need to address potential demands on capacity from respiratory illness seasons. But one measure not coming is a mask mandate. The recommendation continues to be to wear one of these when you're in a crowded indoor place. But a requirement will only come if a new virus does. And I do not believe we need that heavy hand of a mandate to send a clear message that masks are an important tool that we can all use during this time. I don't want us to wait until we are seeing the levels that they're seeing in Ontario before we take action in this province. This is why we're calling on this government to, to make the decision to ensure that people are wearing masks. A new study out of the U.S. showing around 30% of COVID-19 cases among students and teachers around Boston could have been prevented if mask mandates were not lifted. But health officials here question the validity of studies like this. I suggest that we have a lot of data that shows us um, that schools are not um, uncontrolled environments. Government also handing control over to British Columbians, urging them to make the decision when they or their kids are sick, keep staying home. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this issue. And Keith, there are concerns. We talk about ERs, but beds in general are starting to fill up at many hospitals. Yeah, right across the board, Chris. We have 9,202 base hospital beds in our system, along with some surge beds. We're not going to get into that right now. Concentrate on the base beds. And we're approaching 100% capacity at the beginning of respiratory illness season. Here's how it breaks down. The numbers break down on a regional basis. Pretty well the same case right across the board. Everyone in the high 90% when it comes to capacity. And you look at the vacant beds there in the right-hand column. 76 are vacant right now in Fraser. 83 in Vancouver Coastal. A few more in the Provincial Health Services. Vancouver Island 52, just 10 vacant beds right now in the entire north of BC. Uh, overall, 381 vacant beds. And these are base beds. There's still about 1,500 vacant surge beds. But those aren't your typical hospital beds. That's when highway, uh, hallway medicine comes into play. Uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix telling me today that the measures are being contemplated to deal with an anticipated surge, and that could include delaying some surgeries. At a certain point, we're going to say, well, what do we need to do to reduce that capacity? And there's a number of ways to do it. And we're using all of the easiest steps now 
are the least disruptive steps now. But there's always the possibility later on that you may have to cancel some, uh, some scheduled surgeries in order to reduce the capacity. So I showed you the health authority numbers. When I break it down by hospitals, it tells you an even more interesting story. Royal Columbian right now has 48 open beds, and that's 15 base beds, and the rest of them are surge beds. Uh, Children's Hospital has 80 open beds right now. Uh, Kelowna, though, negative 22 overall. They've basically used up all their surge beds. And Royal Inland, the same situation in Kamloops, negative 3. So Kelowna and Kamloops right now are in the most dire situation when it comes to lack of capacity of hospital beds, both based beds and surge beds. We'll be tracking this through the illness season and again the anticipation is we could be at 100% which we were at before the pandemic. People forget at points before the pandemic we were at 101, 103% of capacity. That's why we did all those stories of people getting uh, treated in hallways rather than in hospital rooms. Yep, big challenge ahead no doubt. Okay, thanks a lot Keith and of course, parents are especially concerned about it with the added pressure of cold and flu season. ER wait times, as we've heard, are increasing dramatically as the viruses spread rapidly in children. As Kamal Kuramali reports, some doctors say we're already at a crisis point. It was a sprained ankle that brought nine-year-old Gloria Ma to BC Children's Hospital's emergency department. I sprained my ankle while I was skating. But most inside were suffering from viruses. The coughing and the fever. Fever, and they look so really sick. <coughs> the triple threat of COVID-19, the flu, and respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV, starting its spread across BC, putting pressure on an already strained healthcare system. There's nowhere to sit. There's nowhere to stand. It's insane. The expected time it took for patients to walk in the door and finish treatment at BC Children's on Wednesday varied from nine and a half to eleven and a half hours. In Ontario, transmission is surging. The Children's Hospital in Ottawa opening up a second ICU unit. Experts warn that province could be a glimpse into BC's future if we're not careful. We know the healthcare system is broken. And if we get an increase in strain on the system from respiratory viruses, this is really going to, uh, going to be difficult uh, to deal with. And add, the province needs to take proactive measures fast. It's really at a crisis level. Something needs to be done. There needs to be action in order to mitigate the problems that we're seeing. Wednesday, the province not committing to taking any new steps. You will be seen, you will be triaged, and we will all need to be patient. I am incredibly concerned for the well-being of children in this province right now. Come here, come here. This Vancouver family had to wait in BC Children's oh, Hospital's emergency department for 11 and a half hours back in June when their daughter hit her head. Doctor came in and she admitted that they were in system failure, that... They did not have the staff. The staff shortages plus the looming triple threat of viruses could compound wait times in the future. So now this family taking matters into their own hands. I think we're going to be masking up a lot more and I'm not taking our daughter to, you know, baby group events or things like that. We're, we're kind of headed back, it feels like, headed back into pandemic closures hoping their family can avoid the viruses and major wait times. Kamal Karamali, Global News. As a pillar of his public safety slate, new Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim promised to hire 100 police officers and 100 mental health nurses on day one in office. 
It turns out that might have been too ambitious. As Imadagahi reports, the costs don't quite add up, and he wasn't available to talk about it. On day one, we are going to requisition for 100 new police officers and 100 new mental health nurses. Ken Sims' biggest campaign promise en route to becoming mayor was this clear, and he promised to do it quickly. We want to get moving quickly on the 100 new police officers and 100 mental health nurses. But the details on just how it will be done continue to be slightly obtuse, even now as it is introduced publicly in council. We saw him like three months ago. We ended up apprehending him that time. Uh, you have up to five minutes. Please go ahead. According to the first public motion on the subject, the mayor's plan is to allocate $4.5 million from next year's operating budget for the Vancouver Police Department to begin hiring officers. But measured against the starting salary of a VPD recruit, the money would come well short. Not factoring other costs, it will only cover the pay of 57 entry-level officers for one year. Says he's a schizophrenic male. And the same motion calls for $1.5 million of city funds to Vancouver Coastal Health, which would only hypothetically cover the salary of about 21 public health nurses. The amount being directed towards policing is three times as much as the amount directed towards nurses, even though the proposal is to hire an equal number of each of them. Many people need help and not handcuffs. Uh, seeing no questions uh, from Mayor Council, we'll move uh, to the next speaker. We asked to speak with the mayor, who, despite being in council chamber on Wednesday, did not agree to an interview leaving other ABC party councillors to answer for the funding shortfall. This is the first budget, right? This is our very first budget, and so there'll be future budgets and future allocations, but again, this is a starting point. We were very clear during the campaign about what the priorities were. Residents were really clear with their votes. The majority on council now pointing to a two-year deadline to complete the promise, with the total cost still unknown. Emadagahi, Global News. Members of the B.C. Liberal Party have voted in favor of a name change. They'll soon be known as B.C. United. The key thing about it is I want this party to be a big tent party. I want to make sure that, as I've said so many times, regardless of who people choose to love or what God they choose to pray to, that they're going to feel welcome in a B.C. United. Leader Kevin Falcon made the announcement this morning saying 80% of party members voted in favor of the rebrand. The motion now moves ahead for ratification during a party convention likely to be held in the new year. Expert testimony today at the trial of two men charged with first-degree murder in the death of a man on Vancouver Island the day after they escaped from prison. Court has heard about activity on the victim's computer when he wasn't home. Aaron MacArthur reports. Crown Council spending the morning meticulously piecing together the two accused path once they escaped the William Head Institution in July 2019. Wednesday afternoon spent dealing with a digital forensics expert. In its opening, Crown had told the jury it could show that Martin Payne left for work early in the morning on July 8, 2019. While evidence of his timeline hasn't been presented to the jury, Wednesday they did hear how someone logged into Payne's computer and used it throughout the day, starting just before 7 a.m. Using a browser that had never been opened, the user began searching for terms relating to the prison escape. Forensic examination of Martin Payne's computer shows that at 6.57, someone searched for Victoria News. At 7.02, the search was for free porn. 
and porn was searched three more times during that day. At 7.43, the search was for William Head Institution. At 8.41, the term private water taxi was typed into the search bar. At 10.15, a search was made for the term two men escape Victoria area prison. And at 13.02, the search was for Zachary Armitage. The computer was last used just after and went to sleep an hour later. It was never used again. Under cross-examination, the forensic expert testifying he never searched Martin Payne's computer for browser use in the days before July 7th. The one search term that was never used on July 8th, James Lee Bush. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The discovery of human remains in Prince George has solved a more than three decades old murder mystery. RCMP say a body part found by a member of the public in Connaught Hill Park behind City Hall last month belonged to Donna Charlie. Charlie was killed in 1990 and her headless body found in a shallow grave near downtown Prince George a year later. A man was charged with her murder but eventually pleaded to manslaughter. He was later declared a dangerous offender for a series of violent crimes against women. We now know the cause of a plane crash in northern Ontario that killed a B.C. fugitive wanted in a murder for hire in Thailand. At the time of the crash, there was a $100,000 reward for the arrest of Jean Larkamp. Catherine Urquhart has the conclusion that solved a mystery. It started with a disturbing gang hit in Phuket, Thailand. Then there was a manhunt, followed by a mysterious plane crash. Now, some answers about that crash are finally emerging. Now, we should have learned a long time ago that the human limitations of, of uh, maintaining reference at night. The hit happened in February 2022. CCTV footage showed 31-year-old BC gangster Jimmy Slice Sandu getting out of his vehicle, then being shot by two gunmen. Was it payback for the 2014 killing of Red Scorpion Matt Campbell? That was unclear, but police arrested Matthew Dupre in Alberta. Co-accused, Jean Carl Larkamp disappeared. Jean Carl Larkamp, wanted for murder by the Royal Canadian Mountain Police and the Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit of British Columbia, also with a reward of up to $100,000. Larkamp's time on the lam was short-lived. In April, he boarded a flight in Ontario. Joining him was another wanted man, Kamloops resident Duncan Howard Bailey. Not long after takeoff from Dryden Regional Airport, the plane crashed. The Transportation Safety Board has now concluded the pilot was not qualified for flight in instrument meteorological conditions and the aircraft weight was approximately 2,320 pounds, 170 pounds over the aircraft's maximum takeoff weight. Pilots can easily get disoriented at night. Um, and, and to add to that, this particular uh, operation was being carried out by uh, pilots without any um, IFR experience. It's believed the Piper aircraft cartwheeled and then crashed into some trees. A violent end to an international manhunt, which started in Thailand. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. It's the car crash that changed his life. When a stolen car blew through a red light, causing him serious injuries, he found some faults in ICBC's new no-fault coverage. That story next on the News Hour.
Caught on video, a hotel security guard threatened with a knife and what VPD still need to crack the case coming up. Also coming up soon, a new park along Vancouver's waterfront. How you can help shape it later. Right now, though, a Surrey senior who was seriously injured when his vehicle was hit by a stolen car is worried he won't get the help he needs from ICBC. As Julie Nolan reports, he's dealing with the trauma of the crash and cancer at the same time. I was coming back up the hill on 132nd Street down here through a, a green light. And all of a sudden, bang, and my car is spinning around. Everything's all white. I can't breathe. I got this terrible pain in my chest. Caught on camera in Surrey, Keith Kolpitz was out running errands on October 21st when an alleged stolen vehicle struck his Chrysler Neon. When I talked to the police officer, he said, well, at least you caught him. Caught and wrapped around a pole, but it almost cost Kolpitz his life. Your ribs aren't so good, you have seven broken ribs. He says he didn't know what happened until he saw this footage on Global News. With cardiac issues and a recent battle with cancer, his health and financial struggles are mounting. In a bad year. <laughs> With ICBC's no-fault insurance in place since last year, he could try to sue the other driver, but he also knows that's probably futile. Yet ICBC is telling him... We don't allow anything for pain and suffering. And I said, well, it's hardly a, a normal thing, right? Hit by a driver in a stolen car. The Trial Lawyers Association of BC says the lack of recourse for many British Columbians is creating a lack of accountability for poor drivers. Even with current legal fights underway for charter rights like the right to sue, not much can be done. This new system has effectively taken away lawyers and taken away advocates to help them navigate through the system. So they're really left to the devices of, of ICBC telling them effectively what kind of compensation they should receive. ICBC agreed to comment on the claim. They're offering Colpitt's treatments such as occupational therapy and reimbursing transportation expenses to health appointments. Under enhanced care, you know, there are protections in place that hold the most dangerous and, and negligent drivers accountable. A criminal in a stolen car, it's obviously it's, you know, something's wrong here. Surrey RCMP say the other driver, 25-year-old Donald Daniel Smith of Richmond, is facing nearly a dozen charges related to the crash. Julie Nolan, Global News. Scary moments for an elderly driver in Kelowna this afternoon. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know what, you can't park here. This was the scene at Orchard Plaza just before noon. A gray Subaru ended up almost entirely inside an office building. According to a witness who works there, the vehicle drove through the handicapped parking stall before smashing through a window. I think I'm lucky. And I think that everyone was lucky. No one was inside the office and uh, the, the driver himself, herself was all right as well. And the fire department came very quickly and yeah, everything's good. The female driver of the vehicle is believed to have minor injuries but was treated on scene. No charges are expected. Just ahead, backlash against some of BC's biggest ships. We believe that it's time to impose and make a statement about keeping them out of here. The pristine part of our coast that's turning into a parking lot and why residents aren't happy about it. And the soaring cost of salad. Let us just say lower inflation isn't benefiting everyone. See what I did there?
at the Patello Bridge. Southbound traffic on McBride is starting to ease off just slow from Memorial Drive. Once again, on the bridge deck, you sail right into Surrey. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. In the Global Traffic Center, I'm Jennifer Lee. Despite fluctuating gas prices, inflation held steady in October as grocery prices leveled out too. And as Anne Gaviola shows us, even though Canadians are getting a bit of a break, the cost of living is still really high. Economists were expecting worse, but inflation is still hot at 6.9% for a second month in a row. Prices at the pumps climbed nearly 18%. Mortgage interest costs are more than 11% higher than this time last year. Dry and fresh pasta prices, nearly 45% more. Margarine up 40%, lettuce 30%. We saw the prices, we were like, oh my God. The soaring price of lettuce is more than garden variety inflation. A key growing area in California was hit with diseased crops in a growing season plagued by drought and extreme heat. Many restaurants are cutting way back on portion sizes or, like carbivore subs in Edmonton, have replaced iceberg and romaine on the menu. It's usually $2 a head, it's usually 3 I've seen it maybe like 4 um, It's gone up to like 5 or 6 at this point, which I know doesn't sound a lot, but when you take that into account of like a case size, it becomes almost like $160 for a case. Metro and Loblaw both reported higher third quarter sales driven by food purchases. But the Canadian Federation of Independent Business says smaller retailers in particular continue to struggle with price pressures, labour shortages and lots of consumer demand. They're being hit uh, from all sides at the moment. It's sort of a perfect storm for a lot of businesses. UTB in Calgary is a small shop, feeling the pinch in a way that big box stores aren't. It's leaning on local suppliers to reduce supply chain and shipping-related costs. We're trying as hard as we can to keep Christmas affordable for our customers. Um, luckily, with our local stuff, that has made it a little bit easier. With inflation still elevated, money markets expect yet another rate hike from the Bank of Canada in December, but this time, maybe a moderate 25 basis point increase. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. The port of Prince Rupert is expanding to handle ever-growing cargo volumes. Ottawa is investing nearly $75 million to help build a new berth at the Trigon Terminal. It covers nearly half the construction costs. Prince Rupert bills itself as the closest North American port to Asia, and it saw cargo shipments surge during the pandemic. The new berth will allow more ships at dock at the port of Prince Rupert and will be used to export products that support clean energy to global markets. It will also position us to become Canada's first Western export terminal purpose designed for hydrogen-based and other low-carbon fuels. Officials expect construction to start in the coming weeks. Cargo volumes are down so far this year in Prince Rupert compared to last year. And residents of B.C.'s southern Gulf Islands feel they're paying the price for mismanagement at the port of Vancouver. Dozens of freighters are anchoring in the environmentally sensitive area, sometimes for months at a time. But as Kylie Stanton reports, the port is promising changes. It's been called one of the most productive marine ecosystems in the world. But there's growing concern the pristine waters surrounding the southern Gulf Islands is turning into an overflow parking lot 
for freighters. This summer we had one ship in Cowichan Bay for 84 days and we believe that it's time to impose and make a statement about keeping them out of here. This week, residents are getting that chance at three open house events hosted by the Port of Vancouver. We do understand the impacts on the community and the environment and we want to ensure that whatever system we develop takes into account those impacts and then provide those mitigating measures. There are currently 33 commercial vessel anchorages located throughout the Gulf Islands and residents say they're getting busier with every passing year. Around 2009, there was about 27 total ships and that, that grew substantially. It was up to um, the highest so far we've recorded now is 498 ships in 2020. The port attributes the traffic to trade, increased consumer demand and supply chain issues. And now as part of its active vessel traffic management program, it's asking for feedback on a code of conduct for the freighters. But critics say that's not addressing the root of the problem. The infrastructure, fixing the supply chain, coming up with a proper arrival system so that they can work to eliminate these anchorages. Their intention right now is to make them permanent, and that's the scary part for us. Aside from the noise and light pollution the vessels create, the potential impacts to the marine environment are grave. All it would take is one ship to run aground in a storm to set off a catastrophic chain of events. And who would be held responsible appears to be very much up in the air. We just keep getting pushed around from, from one jurisdiction to the next. Oh, that's their responsibility. Oh, that's Transport Canada's responsibility. You're going to have to talk to the port about that. And nobody is taking responsibility for this mess. Writing the ship won't happen anytime soon. The port is hoping to roll out its plan sometime in 2023. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, some scary moments for a downtown security guard. He was just doing his job when someone pulled a knife. What VPD says about it next. And even with new information, why Russia still gets the blame after an accidental missile strike in Poland. Pink Shirt Day reminds us all to be kind, to lift each other up, to speak up for those who don't have a voice. You know, like every day. The CKNW Kids Fund Pink Shirt Day, presented by Global BC and CKNW 980. Visit our online store at pinkshirtday.ca. Over at the Cassiar Tunnel, eastbound and westbound traffic on Highway 1 is looking great. No delays for your evening commute. When renewing your ICBC Auto Plan insurance online, select your nearest Sussex Insurance when prompted. For all online broker benefits, peace of mind, and best rates, select Sussex Insurance today. In the Global Traffic Center, I'm Jennifer Lee. New video from Vancouver Police after a hotel security guard was threatened with a knife in the city's downtown. The incident happened around 7.30 on the night of Thursday, October 27th, outside of the Hotel Vancouver. The suspect was loitering in the breezeway of the hotel when he was asked to leave. He then pulled a knife from his jacket and approached the security guard. Thankfully, the security guard was able to uh, retreat and um, he was not injured. He is a man between 20 and 30 years old, anywhere between 5 foot 9 and 6 feet. He was wearing a blue jacket, gray pants and runners, and he was carrying a very distinctive orange uh, backpack with him. Anyone who can identify the suspect or who might have witnessed the incident is asked to contact Vancouver Police. Two people are recovering in hospital after they were stabbed this morning in Richmond. Police say they were stabbed at a warehouse near Number 5 Road and Steveston Highway, which oddly enough is right next door to the Richmond RCMP detachment.
The suspect drove away before police arrived, prompting a search across the lower mainland. The incident ended around noon when the suspect was arrested at the Clearbrook Road exit in Abbotsford. Police believe he has an association with the business and say there is no further risk to the public. At this time, we believe this is an isolated incident uh, involving employees at the local business uh, and the suspect, whose relationship we're not certain at this time. However, we do believe he is connected to that business, so there does not appear to be any threat to the general public at this time. Both victims have non-life-threatening injuries and are expected to recover. On the last day of the G20 summit, the U.S. convened an emergency meeting to address the missile that struck NATO member Poland yesterday. Two people were killed. The blast raised fears the war in Ukraine could spill into neighboring countries. But today, Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg laid out what he says really happened. The fear of being next haunts those near the explosion site. In Peshavaduf, local and international investigators are on a fact-finding mission, searching for missile fragments on the Polish side of the Ukrainian border. Poland's president gathered his colleagues to discuss preliminary findings, saying unequivocally what happened in the tiny farming village was not an intentional attack. Ukrainian air defense were firing missiles in various directions, and there is a high chance that unfortunately one of those missiles fell on Polish territory. After the strike Tuesday, which killed two people, Polish officials revealed the missile appeared to be Russian-made. Ukraine has Russian weapons in its arsenal. But Vladimir Zelensky says based on his Air Force commander's information, he does not believe it was his country's missile that impacted Poland. He's asking for access to the site, saying Europe is his partner. Russia acknowledged it unleashed mass strikes using air and sea-based long-range systems that day, but says it did not target anything near the Polish border. Even if that's the case, NATO countries such as the UK say Russia is still responsible. The only reason why missiles are flying through European skies and exploding in European villages is because of Russia's barbaric invasion of Ukraine. Canada has offered investigative support and is standing by Ukraine. This is an unjustifiable and illegal war exacted by Vladimir Putin. With no end in sight to the war and Russia's continued reliance on aerial assaults, there's no way to guarantee it won't spill over again. It could have been me, says this farmer. The head of NATO offered reassurance, saying Eastern Europe is protected and that the alliance will defend its territory should it come to that. Crystal Gamansing, Global News, London. Were you caught off guard by a sudden and jarring noise this afternoon? That sound is certainly meant to get your attention. Thankfully, today it was only a test. It blared out on television screens and smartphones across the province this afternoon. The system is used to warn the public during emergencies like floods, wildfires, extreme heat and civil unrest. The first ever notice in B.C. was sent a year ago during an active shooter emergency in Vanderhoof. 
A new waterfront park is in the works for Vancouver. After Christie's forecast, the area marked out for redevelopment and how you can help transform the green space. And a reporter finds out truly anything can happen on live TV. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Christy Gordon joins us with the puffy jacket version of the suit I'm wearing tonight. Uh, looking good in blue and a little chilly out there tonight, obviously. Yeah, so you definitely need the puffy jackets right now, Chris. So we're dropping down to about zero minus one, and you certainly saw the thick fog today. In that fog, it didn't warm up much at all, but above the fog, it was gorgeous. Here's a look at a video. This is a shot from um, Brad Lund. This is looking out from the Burnaby area. He starts in the north, towards the north, and then pans towards the west. It was so thick, and it really doesn't, didn't dissipate much today. I thought I would actually show you also the satellite image from today. This is from NASA satellite and you can see how thick it was right through the Strait of Georgia. It didn't take over the Fraser Valley. It really was Metro Vancouver, but you can see it sort of shifting in through some of the valley areas up and through the house sound. Uh, sorry, pardon me, the um, uh, Sunshine Coast area uh, in the fog. This can sometimes occur, and this was in the interior. Thanks to Renee for sharing this. She said, there's little mini icicles on my big icicles. What's up? And this is actually called rime. So what happens is uh, in fog, if it's freezing fog, so cold, you can actually get um, uh, ice development on those. Um, well, it could be on icicles or it could be on your deck. It could be on anything, really. And there are these sort of um, pin-like or uh, sort of needle-like uh, frost bits. So thanks so much to Renee for sharing that great shot. And you can see the difference between hoarfrost and rime. Rime is on the right there and it really is needle-like or it's sometimes feathery but more spiky than anything versus hoarfrost is kind of chunkier. All right, so we've got a front that's going to move across. That's going to help our fog, everyone. So a few flurries expected for those of you in the interior, but overall we are expecting a little bit of movement in the air mass. One of the reasons why the fog was so thick across the south coast is because the air mass was so stagnant. So Tonight, that front will move across. It will bring a few flurries into the interior, really light. Uh, but for our area, enough of movement that we likely will be out of the fog. So lots of sunshine tomorrow, and not only tomorrow, but for the next couple of days. We're still expecting that upper-level ridge to break down late Sunday, which leaves us with still tons of sunshine for the next few days. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from West Vancouver. This is looking towards downtown. You can see the buildings poking out of the cloud there. I love that shot. Thank you to Dickens. Yeah, for that. Chris, Surreal. back to you. Surreal. All right. Thanks very much. Very cool. Thanks, Christy. Well, the Vancouver Park Board is looking for your input into what it calls a dynamic new waterfront park coming to Olympic Village. The yet-to-be-named 1.2-hectare space will be located between Science World and Creekside Community Center. The project will also feature a renewal of the False Creek waterfront. The park board's goal is to have a place that it says reflects indigenous values with a diverse ecosystem resilient to climate change. You have until December 8th to share your thoughts about how it looks. Pretty cool. All right, uh, let's check in with Squire now with a look ahead to sports. And a lot of people are going to be footy fans for the next month or more. 
Yes, they will be. Even if they don't uh, normally watch soccer, they will because Canada is going to be playing. And Canadian coach John Herdman, who lives around here, is getting his guys ready for the final warm-up game before the World Cup begins. We're here to work and we'll outwork our opponents. That's, that's what we've got to do. Yeah? Canada plays Japan tomorrow. After that, they have to get ready for game one of the World Cup when it gets real against Belgium. Big challenge ahead. Also coming up, when a baby elephant steals a reporter's spotlight. There's a lot of traffic in Qatar. Yes, long it's hard flight. Hard to get around. It's hard to get around. Our yeah. Canadian team is learning that now. But they got there. That's They're good. there. They're ready. Well, almost ready. Mm -hmm. uh, Canada's World Cup team is in Qatar, where the World Cup, of course, is being held. Alfonso Davies did not practice today, still recovering from that hamstring injury, but he says he should be good to go for the start of the tournament next week against Belgium. Stefan Ustakio who's also one of Canada's main players, is questionable for tomorrow's final warm-up game against Japan. He got a knock. That's what they, they like to say in soccer. He got a knock in uh, practice today. But he should be good to go for the tournament as well. Canada worked out earlier today in Qatar. Canada's final warm-up game against Japan is needed, but there's a fear that in a game where both teams need to go all out to get up to speed for the tournament next week, that injuries are a possibility. Yeah, there's a lot going through my mind. It's uh, it's a bit of a nervous period of time where you know you have to bring a team together, play a good level team, a good intensity. But we have to be smart as well. I mean, the, the football gods will make some decisions and that's up to them. But we're controlling through our sports science and medicine just to make sure we don't take any unnecessary risks with players. You can't leave it to chance now. We're here to work and we'll outwork our opponents. That's, that's what we've got to do. And that will be put to the test tomorrow against Japan, who in September beat the U.S. 2-0 and are ranked 24th in the world compared to Canada's 41st. You know, I think this is going to be a really difficult match for, for Canada, but we want a difficult game coming into our opening, opening uh, match against Belgium. The Canucks came home last night. Two and three from their five-game Eastern road trip where we didn't see any defensive improvement. They are still allowing four goals per game, but they did win 5-4 in Buffalo last night, meaning they didn't choke on a lead this time. They didn't need the Heimlich maneuver. It's a win that at least blows away some of the black cloud that's been over the Vancouver Canucks. They have a tough schedule coming up. It includes games against teams like Vegas, Colorado, Washington, and Florida in the next two weeks. In, uh, uh, you just don't want to go home on a losing note with the schedule that is up ahead of us and hopefully this gives us a little bit of confidence to play against LA next and then and then the, the gauntlet that we're going to be running after that. The Vancouver Warriors schedule was released today. All nine home games have themes attached to them. Home opener is Friday December 16th when the Warriors take the floor this season they will have a new Super fan riding shotgun. The team is set to unveil its first ever mascot, and we were given a sneak peek at the process of bringing a mascot from the paper to reality. 
Uh, honestly, I was having dreams about mascots for about two weeks straight. Um, I just had mascots on the mind. As a content creator, you couldn't ask for a better project. Ryan Mitchell hard at work making those mascot dreams reality as he's part of the design team responsible for helping bring the Vancouver Warriors' first ever team mascot to life. Yeah, this is a huge opportunity for me. Uh, I've, as a kid, I was always into drawing comics and drawing weird characters. So to get the opportunity to create a mascot. A, a franchise only gets one chance to come up with a mascot. So it's a big deal, but we really wanted to use this just to engage our fan base. So back in September, the Warriors reached out to their lacrosse fan base, asking them to submit ideas, concepts, and a description of what the mascot should be, while also emphasizing where its new home is. Over 2,000 sketches and drawings were submitted, some good, some obvious choices, and some stretching the boundaries of creativity. Yeah, we had, you know, some of, the, some of the ones that we ended up going with, Sasquatch and Bear, uh, Eagle, uh, some tur a turf monster, uh, but then some very, like, we had the, the barge on the beach uh, there, some, the steam clock, uh, the lion, but more so from the Lionsgate Bridge, you know, so, some of those things. The best mascots out there ooze atmospheric river proportions of personality. Every detail of its persona from top to bottom is carefully thought out, more than you might realize. Like some of the technical aspects about like, hey, make sure is if you want them to dance, you know, the feet have to be able to dance, right? Things like that, like how hot it's going to get in there. How big is the head going to be? You know, like there's a lot of different, a uh, lot of different aspects that you start thinking about. Everything down to the eyes on the mascot, are they going to be like UP where they bounce around or are they going to be static eyes? Vancouver is one of the few teams in the NLL not to have a mascot. They even enlisted the help of their players when it came to ideas. They've narrowed down their decision to a final three and will unveil the new mascot in the new year. Thankfully, the players will be sticking with what they do best. I drew a tomato. <laughs> I'm actually really proud of it. It's one of the best drawings I've ever made. I didn't trace it. I just co copied it uh, through an internet drawing. I'm pretty proud of it. It was either that or a stick man. That's about all I can draw. Well, that'd be original, a stick man mascot. Uh, Blue Jays have traded Teoscar Hernandez to Seattle for pitchers Eric Swanson, Adam Mako. It's a big pickup for the Mariners. He hits the ball hard. But the Jays, this is a money move. We're not keen on the $14 million he'll likely get in arbitration for next season. There you go. Always about the money. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. There's an old saying in television, never work with children or animals. And you'll see what happened when a journalist included some elephants in his report. Next. Sometimes it works. Sometimes. Sometimes. Jordan Armstrong is here with a look ahead to tonight and a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, the town of Princeton just can't catch a break these days. Still rebuilding, of course, from last year's floods. There's now an evacuation alert for several properties on Jacobson Road and an additional property on Tulamine Avenue due to slope instability. At 11, we'll tell you how this started and what's planned for tomorrow. Plus, dozens of rural B.C. residents with no access to running water for 36 days and counting. Tonight, we'll hear from the mayor who's trying to help them out. Chris? All right, look forward to that coverage. Thank you very much, Jordan. Well, we've seen some unpleasant interruptions, some of them even violent, involving reporters out in the field in recent years. But far from being deplorable, this next one is simply adorable. Check out this reporter who was at an elephant orphanage in Nairobi 
reporting on the way baby elephants were being looked after during a drought when one of the orphaned elephants decided to cuddle up beside him. And if that wasn't enough, another one made its presence known in a different way. Human actions are destroying habitats, decimating our entire ecosystem and disrupting the circle of life. And with the rise in drought cases, it is up to us to be guardians of our own natural world, save our wild species and provide a home. <laughs> that is pretty good. Some things obviously are worth doing a second take for, and that is one of them. And of course, that video has gone viral. I give him all kinds of credit for hanging in there as long as he did before finally breaking down. Totally. He, he, he was amazing. reading beautifully until the trunk completely covered yeah. his mouth. Yeah, crazy. Okay, uh, more sunshine ahead and, uh, and likely fog too, it sounds like, Christy. Yeah, if you can actually see me, no, you can't see that, but it's like pea soup behind me now. It's really thickened up once again. Uh, but we are expecting a clearing tomorrow as that little weak front moves across the region. It'll disturb things enough that hopefully clears things out and you can be enjoying sunshine tomorrow. Sounds good. Thanks very much for watching, everyone. Have a great night.